Paul Selig returns to the podcast for his fourth visit to give us the info from the guides. Now, for those of you who are skeptical, I get it. I was skeptical too. But the access that he has to information from entities that he calls the guides, which he downloads into his mind, he will mumble what they say and then repeat. This provides a powerful framework for a beautiful, all-encompassing spirituality. And I encourage you all to test it, scrape it like a goldsmith. Make sure that the truth resonates with you before you believe any single word. But I trust that if you listen with an open heart, you'll find an immense amount of wisdom from Paul Selig. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Mud Water. And right now, Mud Water is in my bloodstream. It's in my bloodstream pretty much every day because it is my favorite coffee alternative drink every single morning without fail i mix up that mud water with some butter with some coconut butter with some cashew butter and with perhaps a little bit of protein in there and i blend it all together and i have my delicious morning ritual drink and it contains everything that i would want it has cacao as like a major note and then all of my favorite nutritional mushrooms and then a bunch of other ingredients like turmeric and a lot of other superfoods that are really just going to nourish my body while giving me one seventh the amount of caffeine as coffee because if you've read my book on the day you don't want a bunch of caffeine in the morning but having just a little bit mixed with all of that fat is ideal for me so definitely check it out. They're a company that's decided to just do one thing really fucking good. And they've done it. Mudwater is the shit. So go to mudwtr.com slash amp and you'll get $5 off your order of Mudwater. Once again, mudwtr.com slash amp. Next up, we have Inside Tracker. So as many of you know, I founded a company called Onnit based upon total human optimization. And so many of the tools that we have are beneficial to bring you to an optimal state of performance. But one of the challenges with that is sometimes you need quantification. Sometimes you need to understand what specifically you need to work on. And to do that, you need some support. And one of the best services to come about is called Inside Tracker. Our good friend, Andrew Huberman, backs them and supports them. They really go through a comprehensive analysis of not only your blood work, but your lifestyle and everything that's going on to give you a clear view and some recommendations on how to bring you to an optimal state of performance. So I encourage you guys to check it out. It was founded by a bunch of top leading scientists in aging, genetics, biometrics. They have algorithms that analyze your body's data. There's some really strong science back recommendations for your diet, lifestyle changes. It's really customized, bespoke advice and can be really valuable. So if you're interested, for a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Go to insidetracker.com backslash AMP. Once again, insidetracker.com slash AMP for 25% off. And lastly, we have on it. Man, I've been busy lately, and I don't know why. It's completely my own choice to be this busy as I am. But the fact is that I've hardly had time to get in the training that I like to get in. 
And that's where On It in 30 comes in because sometimes we just don't have a lot of time, but the benefits of working out are immense, not just for the body, but for the mind. Psychologically, when I work out, I'm in such a better mental state for the rest of the day. And On It in 30 is that solution. It's a 30 minute workout, obviously up to the highest On It standard. So these are little mini ass kickers and they're phenomenal, led by our top coaches like John Wolf. So check it out. It's 10 workouts for under 10 bucks. It's got routines for kettlebells, body weight, mobility. It's awesome to have at your disposal. So go to onit.com slash Aubrey and you can save 10% on the Onnit in 30 program. So go to onnit.com slash Aubrey to save 10%. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Paul Selig. Paul Selig, it's great to see you, brother. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So you've, you've moved to Hawaii now. You are now I, living yeah. in actual paradise. You are in the I kingdom really in Manifest. Um, I am. I couldn't be happier with it. Yeah, it's a, it's a special place there for sure. And, uh, but of course, what we're talking about is the special place that we can create where we say, no matter where we are in the whole world, behold, I make all things new and every place becomes our internal Hawaii because mm-hmm. we see it in that kind of lens which allows us to see the true reality that's all around us that this is heaven if we allow ourselves to see it in that way i would say that that was pretty well said yeah i mean that's what the guides are teaching now and that's what the kingdom is about Mm -hmm. before we get deeper into the kingdom i want to go back to the basics because i've really tried to meditate on one of the basic, basic tenets and teachings of the guides. And the teaching is, I know who I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth. And I found it very powerful to say that. And then as I was meditating deeply, I was like, wait, I don't necessarily know exactly how to distinguish who I am and what I am, you know, in the perfect, in real clarity. I think I know, but I was making a lot of guesses. So I'd love to go to you and if the guides want to step in and really just explore these one at a time. Like what is, who are we? I know who I am, so who am I? Oh, the claim I know who I am is a claim of true identity. You know, when the guides, you know, say I know who I am in truth, not sort of the subjective idea of who I am or what the culture, you know, we're part of might say we are and how we would be defined by our externals. But the true self, which is, they say, the divine self or the monad, the the aspect of the creator that is as you, that is the aspect of you that actually does know who it is and is seeking its expression. So when you claim, I know who I am, you're actually in an invocation of that truth. You're re-identifying beyond the, you know, the, the temporary to the eternal. So the claim I know who I am is always a claim of identity. That much I understood when they first brought it through. Right. The other two I was actually misunderstanding until they unpacked the claims in later books. The claim I know what I am is a claim is the claim of manifestation. And anything what in their terminology is manifest. So the manifestation of body of experience in this reality is of that. So the I know what I am is the claim of the divine in form. I know what I am is form. So the what, and when they first started teaching this, I thought, okay, well, that just means like in your life. 
But actually, they're talking about matter here in a whole way. When they started bringing this through in workshops and then unpacking it in, I think it was the Book of Truth, they began working with it very directly. You could work with a partner and you could say, I know who I am, what in truth, what I am in truth, how I serve in truth. And then you could say it for another. And we found that when you said it for another, you could actually feel the waves of energy coming back to you from what has been claimed as divine. So the divine as you is claiming the divine as manifest in the other. And then there's a recognition of this that can be felt in the energetic field. So what is manifest? And the whole kingdom is about manifest as well. And then do you want to go to the third one or do you want to? No, I want to, I want to stay there. I want to stay there for a little bit because a big, a big aspect of what we're doing is, is trying to understand the what Mm -hmm. in truth, right? Like this is a big, this is a big part of it because, you know, the what has also been described as Maya, the illusion, right? Like there's an aspect Mm -hmm. that's both Mm -hmm. paradoxically real and not real about the manifest. So I suppose what they're saying then is, is that this is seeing the matter that we are but seeing it through the true lens of the divine self which is why the who comes first because in order to see the what you have to be in the identity of the monad of the divine self to see what the matter is beyond the names that have claimed it and to see what it is so we're talking about like a biological animal that's living in this dimensional density and really seeing that as a divine expression, because as you've said, all is of God or nothing is. So seeing us as a divine mm-hmm. emanation at a certain density, at a certain frequency, beyond the labels and nomenclature that we've given it. Yeah, they've said, and when this and this has always been a challenge for me, but they said early on, you know, you can, if you're denying the divine as your, your fingertips or your eyes or your skin, you're also denying the divine as the ocean and the sky. You know, they say our problem is that we've had this paradigm that we've been operating with. That you know, if there is a God, it's up in the clouds and we're here in the mud. And they're saying, but God, whatever you want to call God, is also the mud. The guides say there's one note playing in the entire universe, one tone. And everything is an articulation of that one tone. So the whole symphony of, of reality is actually a manifestation of that one sound. And um, so they say, you know, we're, we're reclaiming what we see as of God. They're not denying matter. They're actually inviting us to re-know it and re-see it. When they get into the, the newer teachings, they're really going there. You know, they've been sort of deconstructing reality for us, I think, in many of the books. You know, they'll say, you know, the tree was once a seed and the tree may one day be a chair that you're sitting in and one day may, one day may be burnt in a fire and may be smoked. It's the same thing in different, different levels of reality, different ways of being known. Mm-hmm. So they say that we're operating in an octave, inclusive of physical form, the form that we know and that we're all sharing in this sort of shared template of reality they say is an octave of tone and sound mm-hmm. and that what they're doing with us if i understand it is lifting us to the octave above but you really can't do that if you're assuming that the body can't go to mm-hmm. which simply means the level of resonance that's held in vibration in the form so you can't deny the holiness of form and expect to experience it in all things mm. It seems like an invitation to really leave 
the judgments that we've held behind, you know, in, in all, in, in many ways, right? Like the, the only, the thing that's keeping anything from being recognized as the divine is the, is a judgment that it's not divine, right? And this, this seems mm-hmm. to be the, the heart of delusion. And this seems to be where everything has gotten turned upside down. I mean, there was a post recently of a very beautiful and powerful medicine woman and she was expressing her ability to access, you know, these different spiritual planes and, and just a, a lovely conversation, but a very religious person claimed that this was her, this was an expression of the devil and, you know, uh, et cetera, you know, that, that whole, that whole paradigm. And, and really what I replied was like, well, when love expressed is the devil, you know, and God is judgment you've got the thing backwards like you've really got the thing backwards you know because and and that's really the way that a lot of the capital r religion has looked it's like this is it's all a judgment-based system and then Mm -hmm. even if it's love that doesn't matter you know because it's not in the system when really it's it's the opposite it's the judgment itself that is the work i mean i don't ascribe to devil ideology of any sort but if you were going to use that name it's it is the judgment itself it's not the love and the recognition of the divinity of things i agree completely um you know they say that you know we're on a boat that's been upside down for so long we've been capsized underwater for so long that we think we're right side up and what's actually beginning to happen now is that the boat is being righted so everything's sort of fallen all over the place, but we don't know that we've been operating at this level of separation because it's what we've been born into. So the guides say that the only real problem humanity faces is the inherent denial of the divine. That's it. Mm. That's really the problem. You know, how we deny the implicit holiness and in what's before us. That doesn't mean that we agree with what people do or we have to share their politics or their practices or anything like that, but it really is what is the substance that unifies all things. And when you begin to operate at that level, you have a very, very different experience of being, but you can operate at that level if you're judging. So, you know, you've heard this before, but the guides say who you put in darkness and what you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. In other words, Mm -hmm what you judge or what you damn damns you back Mm -hmm. and that's a teaching of of reciprocity and vibrational you know co-resonance it's nothing more than that they've said often you can't lift the what they call the evil man up to the upper room which is the higher state of consciousness because you have made him evil Mm -hmm. and until you realize that level of co-resonance nothing changes So this is supposedly, according to the guides, the big last hurrah for fear and separation, our belief that we're separate from one another and separate from our source, they say is the action of fear. The action of fear is to claim more fear. Mm. Something that they said in, in the book that hasn't come out yet, which I thought was really interesting, which I had never heard before. They say, you know, fear actually doesn't ascend. Fear is stuck. It's not that bright. You know, so fear really can't go higher. All it can sort of do is replicate itself like a cancer at its own level. And they've said many times, you know, the action of fear is to claim more fear. Look at every choice you make in fear and see what it got you. More than likely, it's more of the same. They make a big distinction between fear and prudence. Prudence is it's raining, best to have an umbrella. You're not fearful of the rain. You're being, you know, protective of yourself Mm -hmm. and your well-being. So, you know, this is how I understand it now. 
And I think it's really kind of accurate because I've had these experiences of being in this place and you, they lift you to the upper room. You know, they'll do this in classes. They'll do this through the books. And then they'll say, what are you afraid of? And at that level, there's really no fear, right. just a big trip, you know, right. because then suddenly your choices change. So, yeah, there's two, there's two things that come up when we're talking about this. One is right now we're in a culture that is trying to lift people to in their overt intention. Their claimed intention is that they're trying to lift people to a higher morality, but all they're doing is damning them. We're in this cancel culture where the way that you get somebody to change is you, you know, accuse them, damn them, tell them that they're hurting, you know, they're evil, they're malicious, they don't care about society, they're insensitive, they're all of this, and you damn them, you cancel them, you attack them. And there's this belief, this pervasive belief that that's actually what's going to create some positive difference. But it's certainly not. It's not working in the practicum. We're just seeing more of the same. And it can yeah. never work. In the Book of Truth, and this is six, about six years ago, maybe they dictated this um, or so. It was before two presidential elections ago, so that should place it in time. And they said, you know, they've been saying since the first book, humanity is at a time of reckoning, and a reckoning is the facing of the self and all of one's creations. But what they said in the Book of Truth is, you know, we're, we're about to enter a period where everything that's been buried is going to be brought to light. And that, you know, it's, they said it's going to be like living with your backyard as a uh, as an archaeological dig. It's a mess, you know, and mm. what was buried five days ago and 5,000 years ago, everything is coming up. But the guides have said it's coming up to be seen so that it can be renown. It's not coming up to be damned and shamed and, and destroyed. Because then you're sort of operating in an antagonistic way. And the guys say nothing gets healed until it's brought to the light. You know, I mean, we've done this culturally probably for a very long time. They sure. used to burn the witches, you know. I mean, it's, you know, hang the villain in the, in the town square. And everybody would get to feel vindicated for five minutes as if the evil had been eradicated, but it never was. So the idea of change coming through that, I think would be probably a temporary fix at best. Mm -hmm. You know, the guides say that we've lived in a world with war forever, and so we expect it, and that we're gonna have it, and probably, you know, if we don't change our minds about this, pay a hard price for that, until we can move to a consciousness when war is not a possibility, when we're not seeking to attack and destroy. Um, and I, I think that's true. You know, in, in the very first book, I Am the Word, was dictated over two weeks in 2009, I think, and wasn't expected. And they talked about where we were going. It's an, it's an oddly, you know, prescient book. I mean, they really are sort of laying out the times I think that we're, we're, we're in and have been, you know, systemically through the books, they actually said, you know, before all the crap hit the fan last, you know, March or so in a live stream, I think it was that the shit was going to about to hit the fan. And, mm -hmm. and I said, please just don't let me be in New York city when it happened. <laughs> I was living downtown when nine 11 happened. You know, I was there for the AIDS epidemic and everybody was dying. It was a train wreck. And I said, just let me be someplace pretty. And I was actually in Costa Rica 
when New York City shut down and I never went home. It's the funny thing. I mean, I went, I moved to, to Hawaii, but it's a strange thing. So they've been on target with these things. I agree with what you're saying. And it's a very simple idea. What you damn or who you damn damns you back. That's not pointing fingers. That's about co-resonance. Who you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. And, you know, we have choices here. If we think that that's the way to fix things, I think we're going to have a very hard time. It's not that people don't need to be held accountable for what they do, but I think it's the mindset behind it. If the mindset is attack, I think it's, we're probably going to perpetuate attack. Yeah. That's just my sense. There's a, it seems that the, the way to an essential aspect of transcending this mental construct that we're in and this belief system that we're in is we have to recognize our shared humanity we have to collapse the myth of separation and we have to yeah. understand that we are all of the same source and we have to like deeply deeply know that not just think like oh yeah of course we're all of the same source we were once a big bang which was a uh, pure quantum potentiality and then you know mm -hmm. the size of a thumbnail and now we're all here so i guess we have some shared that's yeah. sometimes a little bit helpful to think about it but we have to feel it we have to like really feel and understand like hey like no matter who that is no matter who your villain is maybe it's trump on one side is your villain or maybe it's anthony fauci on another side or biden or whoever whatever your belief system is like we are them too, Tuatomasi. Like we are that we are that being too. And until we recognize that, it's going to be difficult to actually elevate to the level of consciousness where we're not trying to fight the other. Yeah, I agree completely. You know, and that's the challenge of the time. And I think it's the opportunity of the time. Mm -hmm. You know, when the guides talk about sort of navigating this period that we all seem to be in, they've talked about it as sort of a, a huge wave, a tidal wave of change. And, you know, they say the highest way to deal with this is to ride the wave and to let it carry you to a new place. It's not what we're doing instead is we're trying to hang on to the, the blender in the kitchen that's floating right by us and the wheel of the car and all of the things that we've known in this belief that we get to go back to a way of being that perhaps wasn't working anyway. I think what we're doing now is we're seeing what hasn't been working in many ways, and we're having to try to work with that as best we can. And it's deeply challenging. You know, I am not a fan of change. You know, I, if I like a restaurant, I'll probably go to it for the rest of my life and not yeah. try the new place to open two doors down from it. It's who I am. The fact that I left Manhattan, which is a place that I was born in and probably thought I would always live in and wound up someplace, which makes absolutely no sense for me whatsoever has been an enormous lesson for me because my life is greatly improved, but I wouldn't have chosen this because I wouldn't have known that it was a possibility. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have. Because all I know, the guides say that the small self, which is the personality structure, it's not wrong, it's just limited. The small self knows itself through history, and we all know ourselves through history, and we end up replicating the history. You know, I was um, a chubby, bullied kid. You know, that was my reality. I can recreate that anytime I want, but it doesn't get me anything. It's the world that I knew. And I think we're always recreating our ideas and understand I said ideas of who we are. And this is true personally and collectively. 
in I Am the Word, the first book, the guide said, they talked, it was the only time they've ever talked directly about a current event in a book. They really don't go there for the most part. But they said that, you know, 9-11 was an opportunity for us to re-see our role in the world as a model for great change. And that, you know, we didn't take it that way. Yeah. We back into our old stance of conqueror, which they said, and they said, if we try to maintain that stance in the coming years, we wouldn't survive as a country in the way that we wish, you know, we needed to model change. And I think that that's true. I think that the changes are happening at the level of the individual and at the collective at the same time. And if we don't deal with our own inner stuff, we're going to continue to see it out pictured around us as well. You know. Yeah. When I'm, when I'm looking out at, you know, and we'll get into a little bit more of the philosophy behind how I serve, but in, in understanding that and how to serve, understanding that the necessary prerequisite for this evolution slash revolution of consciousness requires the collapse of the myth of separation, the recognition of a state of interbeing amongst us. Yeah. The, I mean, the guides and yourself, you lay it out impeccably, right? But it's difficult for people to receive it just in words. And I know that there's ways in which the affirmations can help lift. And if someone's willing to give, to sit in on a workshop with you and give it that time. But as we look out at the, at the world, and maybe this is an issue with the myth of scale, this believing that we have to affect so many people for it to, for it to matter and not trusting that if we do it individually in the collective, it's making a large impact. And I'm very open to that and that changing the morphic resonance field that the, the monk that's on the mountaintop that reaches a state of samadhi where they're actually recognize themselves truly as the divine being and, and that that makes an impact. But it feels like from a practical, put my hard hat on, let's go to work type of thing. How, how do you or the guides recommend creating change to help people really recognize this shared humanity? that we all have? Like, how can we go out into these places where everything is increasingly polarized? Like, how do we help, how do we help this mission in the most productive way? I mean, I have, I have thoughts about it. Um, I'm probably going to go to them and it's early for me and here it's the morning and why I was going to, you know, we'll see if I can channel <laughs> my, my second cup of coffee, but we'll see what we get. The idea of who you are. They're saying the idea of who you are and what you are and what you are is actually imperative to understand is actually imperative to understand was the perfect introduction. So it was the perfect introduction. The idea of separation, the idea of separation is based in belief that you are not worthy is based in a belief that you are not worthy. If you are not worthy of the divine, if you are not worthy, the divine happy ones to be how could the one beside you be to rectify this to rectify this first and foremost first and foremost requires a self-awareness requires a self-awareness that you are of the whole that you are of the whole underline the word of underline the word of which means participatory which means participatory the divine being that you truly are the divine being that you truly are is already in a reconciled state is already in a reconciled state not only with with its source, not only with its source, but all the creations of source, but all the creations of source, the amplification of the divine self, the amplification of the divine self, the recognition of it, and realization of it, the recognition of it, and realization of it, and realization of it is the work that we teach, is the work that we teach when you're operating at this celebration. When you are operating at this level of vibration, you become a conductor, you become a conductor for the higher field, for the higher field. And in fact, what you encounter, and in fact, what you encounter 
is actually moved is actually moved or lifted or changed or lifted or changed by the nature of presence, by the nature of presence in co-resonance, in co-resonance, how you act upon this, how you act upon this, how you change the world in your mind, how you change the world in your mind, and language would be rather different, would be rather different. You think the work is all done with your hands, but it's not. You think the work is all done with your hands, but it is not. Your hands may be called to work. Your hands may be called to work, but you cannot move this. But you cannot move this with blunt force. With blunt force, it will resist and fight. It will resist and fight. Nobody wants to be awakened from their bed. Nobody wants to be awakened from their bed of sleep, of sleep by being kicked out of it, by being kicked out of it. But the slumbering one will waken. But the slumbering one will waken as more awaken, as more awaken. Now, when you do understand, now when you do understand that you're as your brother, that you are as your brother, as your sister, as your sister, that you are of the same source, that you are of the same source, and you move to the innate divinity, and you move to the innate divinity that must be present there, that must be present there. You act in accord with that. You act in accord with that. You don't kill what you know to be holy. You don't kill what you know to be holy, nor do you damn the one who is learning her lessons in a hard way, nor do you damn the one who is learning her lessons in a hard way. You comprehend the learning. You comprehend the learning. You support the awakening as you can. You support the awakening as you can to make others wrong. To make others wrong simply perpetuates separation, simply perpetuates separation to go to truth. To go to truth, eternal truth, eternal truth, the divine is who and what, the divine as who and what will claim service, will claim service in the highest way available to the individual, claim service in the highest way available to the individual, underline the word individual, underline the word individual as long as you're operating in separation. As long as you're operating in separation, you'll be operating in a kind of autonomy. You'll be operating in a kind of autonomy. We move our students. We move our students, our students, to the idea of pluralization, to the idea of pluralization, or of the whole, or of the whole, where your acts matter, where your acts matter not just for self but for all. Where not matter not just for self but for all. You will see in time. You will see in time that that is how a world is made new. That that is how a world is made new. But it cannot be made new, but it cannot be made new if you're denying the divine in anyone, if you are denying the divine in anyone, period, and they're saying period. Mm, that's so, that's so valuable, that, that expression of this will not be done with the hands, like there's such yeah. a, it's such a beautiful way to, to, to think about it, because it's so much, we're so in the paradigm of, oh yeah, we got to do something. We want to move something. We want to change something. We got to do something. I got to type this thing out. I got to move my feet over to this place. I got to say this thing in the right way with my mouth. And But really what this is a reminder of, which is of course something that also I know, but need to be constantly reminded, the world will be made new when I actually step into the new world truly itself and then seeing the world in that different way is the invitation and that invitation will be it'll be holistic it'll be inter almost interdimensional where it's like it's happening in ways that are far beyond the words that i'm using far beyond the actions that i'm taking it's going to be an actual invitation to the octave that i'm at an invitation for resonance and which is like a, it's kind of a law of the universe right like things things try to find resonance with themselves like attracts like so the way to do this is to actually deeply establish the resonance, deeply establish the resonance, and then just kind of, it feels like to me like, okay, just establish the resonance, be it for real. Not just, not just talk about it, 
and kind of know it, be it for real, and then just be present and be seen and be felt in whatever way that takes form, see the world in that way, and invite people to join in the resonance. It seems like a clear mission directive. I think it's how it happens, and I think it doesn't happen. You know, when I was, you know, in my 20s and I was out of grad school, I, my, some of my first jobs were in the New York City public school system. They used to send me off to schools to set up a, an arts program. And I would go to these schools and would look like war zones. It was back when the South Bronx was just had been leveled. And I'd meet these teachers that were there in these classrooms that were the most, I, I, I thought these were like enlightened beings. I couldn't believe it. They were operating from tremendous love, tremendous devotion. They were active in the world. They were acting on their beliefs, but they probably wouldn't know what a chakra was to save their life, nor did they need to. You know, they were they were sort of living their their mission. Mm. When I understand what the guides teach, they say that when you work with their stuff, you sort of become a doorway to the higher. You know, you're sort of serving by being, but that doesn't exclude action in the world. The difference, mm. I suspect, the action in the world is prompted by knowing, true knowing not what I think should happen or what my neighbors are saying should happen. It's coming from a very different place. Now, my experience of the guide's work is that none of it's terribly convenient, really. You know, it's not the easy way. Um, I think it's a path of a mist, the path of the mystic, I think, when I try to sort of give it some frame. But I've given up on that because they're saying this is for everybody because we all have the innate capacity to do this. The doing of it, I think, is the process of realization. As you say, once you align at the higher level, how you invoke a world or how you perceive a world into being is part of a larger sort of alchemical act of lifting what you encounter. You know, it's this idea that God sees God in all of its creations and what is seen at that level is altered. And so the idea that those that you are working with are altered in a high way, you're not fixing them, you're re-knowing them as they truly are beyond the mask worn, beyond the old agenda, beyond the old terrible pain, which is the reason for so much outrage, all the terrible pain, that we've never dealt with personally yeah. and collectively. All that stuff is up now. It's up to be seen and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully to be healed. There's, I think there's a an interesting belief that I've tracked in myself, which is that if if I was to, and I'm not saying that I can, and I'm not, I'm certainly not saying that I'm special, but if anyone, let's just say, instead of just using me and, and I, and I'm participating in this, anyone, if anyone actually really does this, like really, really, you know, abides completely in the upper room as the metaphor is used in the Christ consciousness. Well, look what happened to Christ, right? Yeah. Like there's this ancestral fear that at that point of resonance, the resonance is almost even though it's the softest invitation, it's almost violent to people because it's such a strong pull that those in resistance to that, because there always will be, it, they'll be drawn so, so strongly towards that, towards that invitation that some will become violent and the spears will come for the ribs, right? Mm -hmm. And this is like a, it's a very interesting, like deeply embedded ancestral fear. Maybe it's my Jewish ancestry. Maybe it's a universal thing. I don't know. And and that's a it's 
it's it's something that's you know and i suppose the, the guides talk a lot about fear in this place in in the book the kingdom and in, in yeah. general in all the books but but it's interesting for me to feel that fear of like it's and maybe that's just a maybe that's it just feels like an aspect of something that's a hindrance for me yeah. really like going for it i'm like well fuck like i don't want to go all the way i want to i don't want to go be that be that much different you know they're going i'm going to get shot i don't know if it's about being that much different i think it's about being truly who you are and i think at that level there's the idea of almost becoming unarmored because you don't require it you know and i i i share this stuff believe me i mean from the beginning of it and you know i you know, I was a college teacher for 25 years. I was quite happy, you know, sitting in a classroom with, you know, nobody knowing who I was and what I did. That was okay for me. And becoming public with the work that I do has always been a challenge. And each step has been that challenge, you know, is this safe to, to show up in this fashion, but I suspect we do it anyway. So I, I think what you're talking about is in some ways sort of an, an archetypal fear that Mm -hmm. we hold when we're on this journey. And I think that that's probably true for anyone. Let me ask about it because I'm curious because I'm just because you brought it up. It's less about what Aubrey's fear is. It's saying it's less about what Aubrey's fear is than a cultural belief than a cultural belief in persecution. In persecution, if you become visible and if you become visible, you will be damned by the mob. You will be damned by the mob. Some of this is collective conscious. Some of this is collective conscious, a need to punish, a need to punish, a need to disown what has been owned, a need to disown what has been owned. You're actually moving beyond this as a culture. You are actually actually moving beyond this as a culture. There are steps ahead. There are steps ahead as this moves, as this move, but but finally you realize the folly of destruction, the folly of destruction. When one claims herself a martyr, when one claims herself a martyr or he identifies himself through martyrdom or he identifies himself through martyrdom, you have a guarantee of difficulty. You have a guarantee of difficulty, but if you understand this was a way of being known, but if you understand that this was a way of being known, known that is no longer required, that is no longer required, that you can align, that you can align to the true source, to the true source without execution. Without execution, you will find yourself in a happier state. You will find yourself in a happier state in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, the model of release, the model of release of the personality structure is the basement of the personality structure as the basis of identity is the terror you truly face, is the terror you truly Mm -hmm. face. You still have your personality you still have your personality and it's very useful at a party it is very useful at a party <laughs> to say hello my name is to say hello my name is but when you truly know who you are but when you truly know who you are the personality is simply what is used the personality is simply what is used in negotiation in negotiation is not who you are it is not who you are nor does the perceiver reality nor is it the perceiver of your reality that's yeah funny. that's yeah, I think that's I think that's really right. It feels like it feels like this is an old this is an old belief. This is an old thing that is also yeah. meant to be renowned. It was part of a different time, a time when witches were burned. I mean, I just had a beautiful podcast with someone who you could call a witch now. She's this is the same mm-hmm. medicine woman who I mentioned. Her name's Blue. The one of the most beautiful, loving people. But no doubt, you know, in the 1600s in a Swiss village, she was she was on the pyre, right? Like, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's different now. You know, it's it's a different time. the The ideas of 
of the old structures are, are releasing. And, and, and hell, I mean, to even be worried about something that's, it's so difficult to even move <laughs> in a, a slightly octave up higher, you know, to worry about this ultimate thing is also kind of, kind of, it's grandiose and a little bit crazy to be even worried about something that far down the path, but also to, to just have that comfort that no, it's okay, wherever, wherever this ends up, we're in a different time. And to really trust Trust the time, trust the divine. There's a great thing that you said about fear in the book, or the guide said, to know the self in fear is to know the self in separation. So part of all of this fear is is all is still born in my own separation, that I'm separate from the mob, I'm separate from other I'm there's somehow a difference. And me seeing the difference actually creates in some way the vulnerability of the other attacking me. And it's yeah. it's almost like I have to and every anybody on this path has to just transcend truly the the idea of separation and with it you'll transcend the fears that have been collectivized from times past i don't know i i I expect that you're right here i don't have any desire to choose to take this one on at a level of person let me get over my fear of this But basically, I think it's happening at a soul level and the things, you know, when you start working with this stuff and they talk about the divine self and expression, you know, and they they bring you to this level of vibration, they say that the divine self or the monad or the Christ, they call it different things, seeks reclamation of all things, all aspects of self that have been disavowed or disallowed or feared. So it's this idea that if you've got a body buried in the basement, and if that's your fear of the mob or whatever it is, you know, eventually it's got to be exhumed or it's going to stink up the whole house. You know, you can't just Mm -hmm. keep it there. So these things are addressed, I think, as we progress. And I think hopefully as we can handle, I don't know that we need to experience experience them out in, in 3D reality. When I was about 31 or something. I did jury duty for the first time and I was very mm-hmm. proud of my civic duty. And I had terrible anxiety in the courtroom. I mean, every day I was having a panic attack and I'm going, what is going on here? I'm not on trial. And I was meditating in those days, you know, diligently. And I started hearing a name in my head. It was Mirandello. And I thought, but this sounds like an Italian restaurant. I'm thinking, what the hell is this? And then I heard, look it up. This was pre-internet. So I had to find it in an encyclopedia. And it was this guy who was on trial before the Inquisition for about seven years, you know, Mm. who wrote a book on the universality of all religions. And they say, well, that's the memory. That's the the stuff, you know. But it doesn't mean that it got better. You know, what got really interesting was when I when the internet showed up later than that, and I looked the guy's name up and the, the characters, the photo, the, the, the paintings were people that I dreamt about, you know. So I was like really kind of an interesting time. There was this monk, talk about a hard time, Severinola, who was burned in the t- town square of Florence, you know. So, mm. you know, messy times, you know, that, that were, were beyond us. I don't know. My friends keep saying, you know, they don't burn witches anymore in the town square. And I said, well, they do in some countries, unfortunately. But I think that if you want to trust this stuff enough to go on this journey, you have to trust that you're going to be protected on your journey. Right. You know, it's not about, you know, I'm I'm odd in that I'm, I'm visible out of necessity for this work. You know, if I could hide behind the couch, I'd probably be doing it. You know, I live in the rainforest now. It's very private. (laughs) Yeah. 
but that's how I'm built. I'm I'm an introvert. You know, I don't I don't like a lot of of focus. <clears throat> but I'm here to do the work that I'm doing. As are you. As is everybody. Yeah. You know, and I think work shows up in very different ways. And it's not about being special. It's just about showing up. Yeah, I think what's really happening is my small self is very clever. My small mm -hmm. self is very clever and very tenacious, and it wants to maintain purview over this divine being. It really, it really likes the control. It likes the helm. It's been mostly at the helm for most of my life, other than you know peak experiences and moments where I've you know really accessed the the monad within, and so much of my you know growth and so much so much gratitude for those moments that i've had but the majority of my life let's be real it's been the small self in the drivership and so it, if it can access a rational fear a fear that through my mind says ah oh, well that makes sense better stay small you know like better stay in the small self it'll it'll just trigger that and then it'll blow it up out of proportion but what we're really dealing with here is just basic you know basic resistance and a clever you know, a clever small self that wants to maintain purview and will use rational, what I call, quote, rational fears that, mm -hmm. you know, to keep itself in charge. And that's probably really what's happening. Probably, yeah. That sounds right <laughs> to me. Yeah. It's, this is a, this is the thing about, I think, the small self, the personality self. It's in a former podcast, and this has been so valuable for me, is um, I asked the guides whether the small self could be considered like an entity because an entity has a prerogative to survive and an entity has a prerogative to be, to be dominant. And, uh, there's lots of things that we know about, like an animal or an entity. Mm -hmm. and, and thinking of the small self like, okay, this is a being. This is a being and the being wants to live, it wants to exist, it wants to live, it wants to be in control. Like it has, it has its own nature and it's willing to be clever. You know, it's willing to be clever in order to do that. And it doesn't mean that we damn it, certainly not. This is an important aspect, but this is where kind of braiding it together and really incorporating it, but also being aware of its cleverness and its desire to maintain control. It's very essential for kind of navigating the multiplicity of self that we have. You know, I've, <clears throat> I've gotten a little bit better over time at having a part of myself that observes all my gyrations and mechanisms and terrors. And even while they're going on, a part of me is going, well, this is interesting. And, you know, what's the lesson here? And, you know, I mean, I do get at this, at this point in my life that if I'm triggered by something, it means that I have work to do. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that I want to choose hardship as a way of learning. The guides have said, you know, we've looked at fear as our teacher. And there are better teachers to have there are better ways to learn than terror you can learn by you can learn not to pick up you know the the stove the pot on the stove you know with your bare hands by burning yourself or you can learn in some other way so i don't know i feel um i feel buoyed when the guides say things like you know the personality self is assumed in the higher it's of you it's of the whole consequently you know, one of the very first things I heard, I may have said this to you once before, when I was really young and suffering, and I was just opening up as a clear audience and was pretty much saying, you know, help, what happens? And, you know, I heard freedom will come when the throne relinquishes its king. And I didn't understand it. I'm 99% sure that I heard it clear on it because I wrote it down and mm. stuck it on a piece of you know, and stuck it in a book. I didn't know what to do with it. Hmm. And I understand it now. Who sits in the throne? You know, hmm. the small self, the guides say, rules a small kingdom. 
you know, and that's the kingdom that has, everything has to be conducted appropriately. And the way I think it should be in order to keep me safe and get my needs met as I decide they should be met. The true self or the divine self, that aspect of who we are, when that takes the throne, you have a whole different experience of being. And that really is the kingdom. The guides say the kingdom is the realization of the inherent divine in manifestation. It's the yeah. seeing and the knowing of the divine that's always been there, but has been masked from us through our own alignment to separation or the denial of the divine that we've been, you know, indoctrinated in. You know, I mean, they've said kind of it's like we're born into a pool that somebody already peed in, you know, and we don't know <laughs> the difference. You know what I mean? That's just the, the fears here. We're born. We're taught to be afraid. We right. go, okay, I'll be afraid. And, you know, there's another way of being. This is what they teach. You know, I have to trust them at this point. They've done, it's now 10 books, you know, over like 11 years that, you know, and they're all spoken. They don't require editing. I just can't do that, you know. So yeah. something's happened here and I have to trust it enough. And so I continue with it. Yeah, I think there's there can be a lot of frustration for people who see our leaders, you know, and I use that word lightly. And, you know, mm -hmm. they they seem very very much as if the small king is sitting on the throne you know like very divisive very yeah. much claiming a small kingdom over a large purview you know like a, a yeah. and very realistically large pragmatically large with number of people and influence and and it's but really ultimately we can complain about that all we want but we're electing them <laughs> you know we're electing them which means that yeah. our small kings are finding another small king that speaks to and, and has resonance with our own small kings and queens so yeah you know if we want that to change like we gotta we gotta actually you know change out the change out the monarch that lives inside us i agree i think that these are our creations you know the guides have said you know, I'm not a good new age, or I never have been. I have very little patience with a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the guides say, you know, that everything we see and experience, we're in co-resonance with. You know, everything that we see, we're in alignment to. It's we're in vibrational accord. And they would say A C C O R D or A C H O R D is on a piano. The attunements, by the way, are like musical notes played in a chord that shift the alignment and consequently the agreement or the level of co-resonance that you begin to operate in. So the guides say everything that you're in accord with, you're shaking hands with, you hold. So everything we see, we're in alignment to. It doesn't mean we want it to be there, that we chose it consciously. It means that this is how we're operating energetically. So the key, quite simply, is to stop shaking hands with it, stop confirming it, and then you can reach for the higher. You can't do it when your focus is on the thing that you don't want. You know, then you're just confirming the negativity or the outrage or whatever the frustration is. I mean, it's a challenging teaching, but I, I get it, you know, and it's sort of, I, I guess, in some ways, the essence of how a world is made new as they teach it. You know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't get fixed by taking a hammer to it. It actually gets fixed by rising above the old and then allowing what no longer is serving you to be moved away yeah. so that the new can be claimed. And that's my hope. Yeah. Speaking of ways to learn, um, you know, as you've said, and the guides have said, we've learned through fear for so yeah. much of our life. And, 
And I think, you know, I'm, I'm participating in that completely. And, and another way that I've really begun to learn um, is through love in my union with my wife, Ilana. Like mm-hmm. this, the way in which, and I think this is something um, that I'd love if, if the guides have anything to say about it, but if we're trying to deepen our union with source, Mm-hmm. having a specific emanation and articulation of that source that we can form union with and just focus on that one thing because it's very difficult to fo- find union with the abstract but if we can condense that into like oh this is just my part and i'm going to practice here i know it's everything but i'm going to practice completely merging in union with my partner mm-hmm. i hear it's only one way yeah it's only one way to this right thing you can learn through this or anything you can love a tree, you can love God, you can love God, you can love the earth, you can love the earth, you can love a romantic partner, you can love a romantic partner or a child or a parent or a child or a parent. You, mm-hmm. may, choose love. you may choose the object of love and know God through that act and know God through that act. It's God who loves through you. It is God who loves through you. It is not the personality self. It is not the personality self that does not love, that does not love. It may have adoration. It may have adoration or desire or desire with the personality structure, but the personality structure, which knows itself through separation, which knows itself through separation, is not who loves, is not who loves. God loves through the self. God loves through the self and reclaims the self as it loves and reclaims the self as it loves. It doesn't really matter who or what. It doesn't really matter who or what as long as the act is done in love as long as the act is done in love yeah that makes that makes perfect sense some may just be easier some pathways some doorways may be easier for an individual it may be easier to love your dog than and or then or maybe easier to love it nature if you're like a, if you're into na- in nature it may be easier to love your partner it may be easier to love your parent but it's like it feels like it's okay whatever whatever way whatever way that you can form true union and rise in in love like use that way, like utilize that that's available to you immediately as a springboard to get you to the universal. I, I guess, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think of my own life with, with this. And, you know, I, I think I had to learn how to love in some way or learn that it was safe to do that. Um, I don't think I was raised with an understanding of that. You know, but when I taught, I used to say that my years teaching college, well, that was my spiritual practice for those years. I loved those kids. You know, they were mm-hmm. good kids. And I learned to show up anyway as my best self and 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 address their potential, which was my mm-hmm. job, you know, and it's what I did. And it was a good thing. And now I it's funny, here on Maui, I sort of was welcomed by the the community that was um, you know built around Ram Das, the teacher who used to live here. Mm. And I'm seeing people who love genuinely and easily. Yeah. And I'm being wonderfully changed by that too. You can't not be changed by that when you encounter it. And I think it doesn't really matter how it shows up as long as it shows up. Have the guides ever spoken about Ram Das himself? Do, do they do that type of thing? Because I would love to hear their opinion because he well, seems like one of these genuine ascended masters that have existed in our in our epoch i have i mean i'm you know i i never knew the man i had read one of his books when i was younger and when i was reading a lot of stuff um and it's very funny that you know although i never met him he's become an important figure in my life um you know posthumously 
So yes, they spoke about him once because I did a, a benefit for Hanuman Maui mm. um, and they acknowledged his gifts and his teachings, which surprised me that they would do that. I didn't know that they knew. Um, but when I was once at the house, they invited me to, people invited me to step in because you, you've seen me do this, but I can step into people and sort of sure. become them. And I primarily only work with the living, but I was able to to access at that level, you know, and uh, and and it was extraordinary for me, truthfully. So I, I, I hold the teacher in great esteem, and um, you know, and am grateful to 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 know some of the people who loved him. So, what did that what did that feel like for you? Because when you step in, you you feel it's not just you think you get to feel a bit of yeah. the emanation, a bit a bit of the the intonation of that of that individual. Um, I, I, it's hard to describe. I mean, I, I, and I'm un, a little uncomfortable describing it. I see, I see that. I see that. You know, yeah. it's, it's somebody else's experience. Um, I felt when I tuned into him, I felt this tremendous curiosity, tremendous curiosity and an awareness. Um, I still felt like a person, you know, I also, tuned into his guru, you know, and that was just like, kaboom, total <laughs> that was like, what the heck? But I forget, you know, I can do, you know, I forget that I do this, you know, and I, I wouldn't have done this unless I was asked truthfully. Yeah. And I hope nobody's offended, you know, that I'm talking about this because um, I don't do that. But, you know, as long as somebody's got a body, I can usually get them. You know, I'm yeah. pretty good. I'm not a spiritual medium. I don't talk to the dead. But what I often can do, which I forget because I don't try, is go to people that have lived and I can feel them as they were when they had the body because time mm -hmm. doesn't really exist at that level. And that's really interesting, but I don't necessarily hear them when they don't have the body. You know, if I was tuning into your sister, I could probably feel your sister and hear her too, sure. which is their audience. But yeah. And you've just done that. A, yeah, <laughs> I've done, you know, but I'm a radio, you know, that's how I look at myself. So, you know, I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, I think he was a great teacher. Yeah. He says things that the guides say, and I, and I think he says them much better. And I'm going, well, that was great. He did the whole thing and have a paragraph. It took them two books. So, you know. <laughs> I yeah it's all that. it's all of the different ways to point to these these universal truths that which is true is always true a, a big teaching in the guides and just many poetic ways to express it and he was part of who he was was a poet you know he was some of his work is deeply poetic even if it's coming out as prose and and i think that's uh you know it's beautiful same with rumi you know i mean rumi's just he had a poetic part of his nature was as a poet but his, his expression is very similar um I want to go back to the relationship aspect of things because one one thing that's been we've talked about sex before on the <clears throat> on the podcast and and one of the things that has started to become a part of my exploratory path part of my own curiosity was you look back at mystical texts of a variety of different sources mystical Taoism mystical tantra mystical you know the sutras and different things about how sexual energy can be utilized as an energetic force as a force of energy for healing for for creating you know additional union for a variety you know spiritual access what has have the guides ever talked about or, or are they interested in talking about now the utilization of sexual energy 
as a force, as a force for you know some productive means? No, they haven't yet. Um, in the in the book that they just finished dictating, there actually is a whole lecture on sex, which surprised all of us because it seemed to come out of the blue. But they were talking about the parts of ourselves that have been dispossessed or repressed or denied or held in fear and shame. And so they really brought sex to the forefront because we've gotten so many, you know, we're, we're very puritanical, you know, at least mm-hmm. in this culture in a lot of ways. But they were talking about the integration of those parts of ourselves um, into the wholeness. They don't talk about I don't know that the, I don't know that they know what tantra is. Occasionally, somebody will ask them something that I think that they're not going to talk about. And, oh yes, we'll discuss that. But um, they haven't talked about the energy of, of, of sexual expression, other than it's just all God. You mm. know, it's all God. They don't. You know, I, I haven't heard them, and maybe one day they will. <clears throat> you know, there's mm-hmm. two more books in this in this next trilogy, so I expect they'll cover more territory than I know. Yeah, it is. It is kind of part of a general theme that I haven't seen them talk much about, which is also chi, also prana. You know, also, and in some ways, you utilize it. Like I've seen you use your hands in different mudras and different different movements. You know, yeah. which is really accessing kind of like an energetic stratum. That, mm-hmm. um, but they don't talk about it all that often. You know, as far as like how to work as. Mm-hmm in this reality as artists using this as energy to kind of paint with? Well, I don't know that it's part of their teaching, probably. I think that they're they're pretty singular in their way of working. You know, people come to me and they want to know who their parents, tell me about all my past lives, I don't do that. (laughs) I want to talk to my dead mother, I I don't do that. You know, what do the guides say about where I should live? I say they don't care, you know, that's (laughs) not what they're here for. You know, they're here to teach. And their teaching has been singular. They brought through a couple of mudras in their teachings, which have been ways of specifically working with energy, Um, but they don't rely on them. And they don't tell people what to do, which I'm grateful for. They Mm -hmm. they teach you how to access your own own knowing. Um, I think, you see, when they talk about manifestation, which they're doing now more and more, um, but in a different way than I think people probably wanna hear, they're not talking about how to get the perfect lover or the better this or that, you know, and they say so much of what we want is actually what we've been taught, told or taught to want and desire in our culture. So I should look a certain way. I should have so much in the bank. I should be seen this way in my community and everybody's aspiring to that stuff. And the question really is why, you know, and um, these are things that can be experienced. There's nothing wrong with having a partner and, and a great place to live and all those things they can be had and experienced but that's not really the purpose so they're talking about aligning to this place they call the upper room which is a level of consciousness and vibration and then moving into a place of receptivity where you become the recipient of what you require and my experience of this has been pretty amazing um, I'm no longer, the areas where I'm still saying, where's my partner, where's the this, where's the that, those are the areas that I'm not flowing in. But yeah. the areas that I've basically said, okay, here I am and let it be what it is, flow really well and beyond what I would have chosen. I never would have put myself where I am now. It wasn't on my list. It wasn't on my map. It made no sense at all. 
and really was beyond what I could have chosen. It knew yeah. better. And that idea that, it, you know, God, if there, whatever you want to call it, God knows what we want before we demand it or ask for it. I think we can ask. I think there's nothing wrong with that. And I think we can claim there's nothing wrong with claiming. They say, you know, if it exists, it can be chosen. But why do you want it? The guides used to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with a house on the hill. Somebody gets to live there. But why do you want it? And if you want it to be the envy of your neighbors, you're creating in fear. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that's true. So you can have any experience, but why? So this is about working with energy in a different way. It's all about becoming the conduit for the energy. And it's all, all about reseeing what's already true, not what you want it to be, you know? And I think that's the challenge. It's probably why I'll never be channeling on a cruise ship. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm yeah. not telling people what they, what they can have. I'm telling people what, what I hear. And what I hear is that, you know, it's, it's available, but it yeah. needs aligned to and received there's a lot of a lot of what's coming through in this latest book the kingdom is and so it is or god is god is god is it's just yeah. this deep it's this deep acceptance and it's like a deep loving acceptance and a trust that what is what is happening is of god too whether and even looking forward to the future the unknown itself like if everything is god the unknown is god too so faith is to see god in the unknown you know, which I thought was like really beautiful. It's just this like deep trust and acceptance and faith for that which hasn't happened yet. And mm-hmm. it, you know, no doubt that radically changes your internal experience, which is which is the arrival and the manifestation of the kingdom. Because it doesn't matter. You can be in paradise, but still be in hell. I mean, so Absolutely. many wealthy people commit suicide. The only time you commit suicide is if you're completely hopeless and in hell. Well, I wouldn't say the only time, probably there's other reasons, but you know, that's a, a big significant aspect of that. And so it's not about the external, but what these teachings are doing is they're guiding us to the internal kingdom, the real kingdom, because it, it's not linked to the external world. Of course, yes, if you're being tortured or tormented or in abject poverty, that has an influence. I'm not denying that, but so much of our experience is, is internal rather than external. And this is the manifestation of the internal. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm learning to trust it through engaging with it. I used to say that I wasn't the best student of the work. You know, I'm, I'm really the radio and I'm there to take the dictation. I'm the stenographer to the guides. I'm not, you know, I'm somebody who, uh, who does the work as best he can, but I, you know, at the end of, uh, God, like the book of freedom, the guide said, everybody come across this threshold. There's a whole new life waiting for you. And they said, Paul, you get to come too. And up to that point, I'd been told that my job was to hold the door open for other people, <laughs> which really sucked. I was like, what? <laughs> to hold the door open, the doorman for everybody. But what I, what they were taking me to was all of us was to this new, the upper room, this whole new way of being, this potential that we could realize and I realized then that holding the door meant holding the space for the books to come through. The books are the door. The books are the doorway. Yeah, I'm just holding the doorway, and that's that's what I what I do. But I don't know. I'm I'm st- I'm not without fear. God knows. I still you know have much work I would say to do. But it's a different experience of it than I've had in the past. Um, it's not as heavy and it's not as hard. That's all. Yeah, that's a beautiful recognition. The guides talk about 
you know, switch gears slightly. The guides mm-hmm. talk about that we've come to similar points in yeah. our collective history before. So I'm wondering if there's any wisdom because, you know, potentially it wasn't the societies that have come before us. It wasn't their fault. Maybe there was a flood or maybe there was a meteor. Or, uh, who knows? But but are there lessons from the times in which we didn't quite make it? We didn't make it through the transition without a complete cataclysmic re-knowing. Are there, are there lessons or teachings that we can learn from the humans that have come before us that we can bring into the time now? I mean, I, 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 they've never spoken about that directly to me. Maybe it's in the, in the book that they just finished because I haven't finished proofing it yet. But let me, let me see if I get anything on this because I'm curious that you have choice. Most civilizations, most civilizations go, into, go into an agreement of lack, of lack and then desperation and then desperation before they release, before they release when you understand source. When you understand source, things begin to change. Things begin to change. The opportunity now, the opportunity now for civilization, for civilizations to re-know itself is to re-know itself beyond separation, beyond separation. If you want to do this, if you're willing to do this, the transition can be happy. The transition can be happy, it can be fun, it can be fun, it can be joyful, it can be joyful if you wish to fight this. If you wish to fight this, you will see the residual affect, you will see the residual affect of the denial of your brother, of the denial of your brother, which is what you predict, which is what you would predict, which would be war and famine, which would be war and famine. We see no need for this. We see no need for this, but indeed we see humanity having to make a choice. But indeed we see humanity having to make a choice. Indeed the choice has been made at a higher level. Indeed the choice has been made at a higher level for humanity to progress, for humanity to progress, but the individual still has will. But the individual still has will. Do you wish to support the one beside you as the wave moves you? Do you wish to support the one beside you as the wave moves you or try to steal with shelter or try to steal his shelter grab his lifeboat, grab his lifeboat, be the victor, be the victor at the cost of someone's loss, at the cost of someone's loss until you understand, until you understand that indeed you are accountable, (coughs) that indeed you are accountable to the one beside you, to the one beside you, you will have pain. You will have pain, period, in their same period. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I guess in another, you know, kind of looking at the macro and, uh, one other question that I would love to get some clarity on is, is there an intentional energetic force in some, you know, metaphysical, cosmological ideologies, you would call it an archon or a condensation of negative energy that is actually in opposition to the elevation of humanity to our, to our true nature? Is there, is there an an energy, an externalized energy, or is this something that's all within and it's no need to worry about this external energy? I basically hear yes and no. It's both internal and external. It's both internal and external when you make a choice in fear. When you make a choice in fear, which is in the denial of the divine, which is in the denial of the divine, you have a creation, you have a creation that is in resonance with fear, that is in resonance with fear. Now, fear is actually of God. Now, fear is actually of God. Nothing can be outside of God. Nothing can be outside of God, but fear would deny it. But fear would deny it. It would seek its autonomy. It would seek its autonomy, even though it is of the whole 
people, even though it is of the whole when a fear is released. When a fear is released or reclaimed in a higher way or reclaimed in a higher way, you actually resolve this. You actually resolve this. Is there a force of evil? Is there a force of evil playing on humanity, playing on humanity, trying to dominate, trying to deny their divinity? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You are the creator here. You are the creator here and any energies and any energies that are denying the divine, that are denying the divine are actually of choice, are actually of choice, born in mm. fear, born in fear, and again, the denial of the divine, and again, the denial of the divine. If you create an enemy like this, if you create an enemy like this, you are looking for a fight in a battle, you are looking for a fight in a battle, you will replicate war, you will replicate war. If you lift beyond the negativity, if you lift beyond the negativity, you can actually lift it, you can actually lift it, reclaim it, receive it, reclaim it, receive it, the denial of the divine, the denial of the divine cannot be denied, cannot be denied from the higher amplitude from the higher amplification of tone or source of tone or source we have given you this ability we have given you this ability if you wish to enable it if you wish to enable it, if you wish to fight the shadows if you wish to fight the shadows until your death you may choose that as well you may choose that as well hmm. yeah that makes a lot of sense that really resonates um one thing that one thing that i'm curious about is you know the guides talk a lot about fear and uh, and a lot of these choices being made in fear there seems to be also choices being made for pleasure at someone else's cost like somehow in the wiring of our our nature just the same way that an orca seems to delight in throwing a seal up into the air and catching it or a cat doesn't just eat the bugs in my house they bat it around for a little while and feel the energy of the life force squealing out of it and then and then finally consume it right i watch them carefully and you know sometimes i'll try and rescue the thing they're they're after but I, this is nature and this is like somehow some part of me is like all right i'm gonna allow my cat to experience this with the cockroach in the way that cats and cockroaches are <laughs> enabled i think i'd feel different about a mouse i'm rather fond of mice so i, I would definitely try and save the mouse but nonetheless like in this existence, I see this in humanity as well, and I've, you can look at it historically. There's a there's a pleasure that can be derived from an organism level from hurting another being, and 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 really like there's a pleasure in the condensation of separation in that way, and in like really articulating the separation in such a way that you're willing to hurt. What is the you know is this something that we're also fighting against? That's significant or is that really just a, a symptom of some kind of fear or is this a part of our animal nature that we need to transcend and they've never spoken about this but what i do hear i mean they don't talk about evil much but you know it's it's intentional harm inflicted yeah would be a definition of it and um and that can only be done they say by one who is in denial of the divine absolutely absolutely because otherwise you can't harm another in that way so you know it's i mean i i suspect this is the challenge and that's why you know people say well i can't see the divine and so and so because of the horrible things that they've done and i understand that and then i also understand that person is accountable to to his or her actions but also the job is the job of redemption or reseeing or re-knowing the divine within them because nothing otherwise changes. Then we're back to just burning people at the stake. You know, we're mm. back to the old way of doing it. And I don't know that we get to change. 
So they, they've said something to the effect that the one who engages at that level is denying their inherent divinity. And then the job of the other is to re-know that, you know? And they talk a lot about, they were talking in the book that just came out, like this, that's coming out next year, actually. They're, they talk a lot about redemption, what that really means. And that that's actually done by the divine self that is a redeemer, that can and will and must, because it cannot put anything outside of God. Mm. See, God can't put anything outside of God. Mm -hmm. Just that's just not possible. Yeah. It's like that simple thing that they teach. You can't be the light and hold another in darkness. It's not possible. Mm -hmm. And the light's not shining for itself. It's shining for, for everything, do you understand? So it becomes, again, opportunity for change and collective change and how we treat others. But, you know, I think we have a ways to go. That's what it seems. <laughs> indeed, indeed. It's like that's the paradox that we're already there and we have a ways to go. <laughs> you know, like the truth is that we're, we are all there and it's all just delusion and denial that's, uh, that's keeping us from that recognition. So in, in one level, there's nowhere to go because it's already always true. And in another way, there's a lot of shedding and, and, you know, re-knowing of the self that, uh, that is required. But, um, we're in it, you know, we're in this process and this takes me all the way back as we wrap this up, you know, to the third aspect of that, of that claim, which is, I know how I serve in truth. And, you know, I do my best to, understand that and i think and we've talked about a deep part of that which is to show up in you know as the as the divine self expressed to the best of our ability to recognize the state of inner being to stop you know putting others in judgment and 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 uh and putting others to the cave as they say you know and really do our best to to be in that be in that divine expression in that consciousness but i was just want to open up if there's any other message that the guides have for me, Aubrey, a guy who's doing his best and, and doesn't all <laughs> still is kind of hard on himself. And I can feel that, you know, feel that in hell that maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not doing my best and maybe, maybe there's something else I could do, or you know, maybe there's some way that I could, I could serve the world in a better way. And, you know, I, so I just, uh, I just want to open up to the guides to see if they have any any guidance for for me. They're telling me to go to you first. So I'm going to tune into you first, if that's okay, and then they're yeah. going to speak. So I'm going to see what it just feels like to be you. When I tune into you, you actually say, "I don't want to know myself any deeper than I do. It's too hard, and it's and it's hard. I got to tell you, it feels hard." And there's anger at people for not knowing what you're trying to do, is what I get. This is, a, is the anger feeling misunderstood. So let me go to the guides and see what they want to say. Tell the young man he's being celebrated, not for what he does, but who is not for what he does, but who he is in a celebration in the higher level. And a celebration in the higher level is always about the reconciliation, is always about the reconciliation of spirit and matter, of spirit and matter, in fact, what you are embarking on. In fact, what you are embarking on is a re-knowing of the self, is a re-knowing of the self beyond the industry you've known, beyond the industry you've known, or what you've cataloged yourself as, or what you've cataloged yourself as. These have been useful hallways to wander down. These 
have been useful hallways to wander down. They have never been your destination. They have never been your destination. Once you understand that who and what you are, once you understand that who and what you are, the true self and embodiment, the true self and embodiment is here to love and serve, is here to love and serve. You will let go of the outcome. You will let go of the outcome because what will be offered to you, because what will be offered to you will actually give you what you require, will actually give you what you require to re-know the world, to re-know the world and what that means and what that means to re-know the world, to re-know the world is to see the blessing, is to see the blessing of God, of God upon all matter, upon all matter. Now we're using these words carefully for you. Now we are using these words carefully for you because indeed you are a student of this work, because indeed you are a student of this work, the blessing of God upon, the blessing of God upon all matter simply means, simply means that you are acting, that you are acting in agency, in agency to reclaim what has been dispossessed, to reclaim what has been dispossessed or denied or denied, the challenge you will face personally, the challenge you will face personally is your idea of what things should be, of what your idea of what things should be or how they should look after the fact or how they should look after the fact and letting go of the outcome and letting go of the outcome of your acts, of your acts or affect upon the world or affect upon the world will be essential for you, will be essential for you. In fact, it's not your business. In fact, it's not your business. You are learning humility. You are learning humility by releasing the need for outcome, by releasing the need for outcome. It is a hard gift to give. It is a hard gift to give. It is a harder one to receive. It is a harder one to receive. And what we mean by this is when a soul is ready for these lessons, when a soul is ready for these lessons, they are offered, they are offered and carefully and carefully so that the soul can assume, so that the soul can assume its requirements, its requirements for development, for development of the cost for the person who at the cost of what the personality would ascribe a scry period and they're saying period hmm. yeah it's really powerful to hear i mean it is it is the it's the attachment to outcome it really is like i that's the that's the criteria for judgment that i'm judging myself against and that's what creates the suffering and creates the anxiety is is this i'm i have a fixation on the outcome of my acts and my deeds and if i fail to meet this hypothesized outcome, this imagined outcome, then I haven't done enough. But I don't know what that outcome is. It's always ephemeral and it's always moving and it's always just a little bit more than I ever did. So I'm never quite actually there because I'm always moving the line just farther enough. And mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, that's a beautiful reframe and I'll, I'll hold that tightly. And I guess for me, the, the challenge is also that you know, I have a lot of people that are supporting me and a team and we're, we're all collectively doing our best. And it's difficult to, to manage a team without goals and without, you know, intentions. And so it's this interesting paradox of, of striving for, you know, striving to attain the goals to get more people to listen to the podcast, you know, because I believe in the podcast, but then surrendering the attachment to the outcome of how many people and that's the that's the tug and pull of the of this of this work it is inherently a, a paradox of of mm -hmm. being the multidimensional being that we all are mm -hmm. i think a lot of it's showing up you know the guides say how we serve or how we're most fully expressed is the true self and some of that's just showing up, you know, for my stuff, I've learned I to show up when I don't want to, which is fairly often, you know, <laughs> but I show up anyway, you know, yeah. I, that's my part of the job. And I look at this as the job, you know, this is how I show up and I take the dictation and I try to be 
and my integrity as I work and, and everything else is kind of out of my hands, you know? So I don't know that there's more that we can do in terms of making plans. I've asked this too, you know, it's not like, because I meet people who say, well, I, you know, God will take care of this. I don't have to pay my rent. I'm like, if you're living in something, if you're paying, supposed to pay rent, you're accountable for the rent, mm-hmm. you know, do something about it. And then my example was, you know, if you, you know, it's not a bad idea to chop firewood for the winter. If you're living in a bungalow in the middle of the, in the middle of the, you know, in the middle of the forest, Right. And not, you know, chop the wood. That's your that's your responsibility. That's being planful. I don't think being planful is necessarily being controlling. Yeah. You know, I learned a lot of this stuff though when I was in when I was in my early sobriety in my late 20s and I was so poor and I didn't know what was coming. I didn't I mean I I was barely functional for a while. But I actually was taken care of through that period in, in miraculous ways. And I, when I look back on it now, I go, my God, you were so close to being homeless. You don't even realize it for a long time. And I didn't, thank God. It would have scared me out of my mind. But I had a place to stay and I had food and I was learning and I was learning. And I go back and I can remember that. And I go, why does it need to be different now? You know, I showed up then. I show up now. The circumstances are different. I'm still learning. I'm not done yet. I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not striving to be, but I'm trying to be available to what wants to be, I don't know, known in my experience in my life in a way that I believe, I'm not going to say surpasses what was before, but is radically different than what I used to know. Because as I said, I wouldn't have been able to choose this because I didn't know that I could, you know? Yeah. So. Thank you so much, Paul. It's always great to talk to you. And always you was- great to talk to the guys as well. <laughs> I don't know how much thank yous matter <laughs> to them in their in their existence, but I thank them. Uh, I thank them equally. It's just such a such profound teachings that you've been able to to bring into the world um, with their support and just the utmost gratitude personally as a friend and uh, and also as you know as the entirety of the being that I am. Much love to you, Aubrey. Thank you. Yeah, much love to you as well. And everybody, the book, The Kingdom, is out now. And uh, it's amazing, as are all of Paul's books. So definitely check it out. And uh, also, you've got all kinds of cool things to check out. you got Wednesday, you know, Wednesday lectures and things like that. So if you're interested in staying connected to Paul, we'll put all the links in the, in the show notes. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. So much love. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed this show. If you're interested in any of the Fit for Service programming, make sure you check out fitforservice.com. I love you all and I'll see you next week.